Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikor. And we are discussing Mr. Miracle by Tom King and Mitch Gerard. We've done um, the 18 issues of Jack Kirby's Mr. Miracle. Now we're going to look at a couple of the works that came afterwards. And I think it seemed like the uh, a good first choice was to go to the King Gerard book since it won multiple Eisner Awards. It's a strange read after reading Kirby. There's so much that resonates with Kirby. It's such a different work in every possible way. Uh, also, just to mention also, I think people would probably know, but we also went through the New Gods 11 books right. in addition to that. So we have that background of that. Right. And the Ryan appearing in this book is uh, makes that even more resonant. I don't know where to start with this book because there's just so much here. I mean, I think... We're going to spoil it, right? Can we just spoil it from right off? Right yeah, from let's the, just say right up front, there are, there are spoilers. I have some, and I'm, I'm assuming people have read it, you know, and so I'll just start off with my notes. Is that okay? And then I can just go through and then, or do you want to go first? And we can no, you go, go ahead and we'll just chat about them. Yeah. Um, so the first and foremost is we find out maybe in the second or third issue is Dark Side as one. Mm-hmm. I think it's clear even when reading New Gods and reading um, Mr. Miracle and Kirby's time. But first of all, like, let me back, back, step back and talk about my current state of mind reading this book. Right now, I'm in a state of mind where like, I want to read fun books that are like hopeful and cheerful. In fact, I tried to cleanse my palate by reading like um, Peanuts and <laughs> because it's just... In a dire state state of mind. That said, uh, I do have a lot of respect for Tom King and Mick Gerard, so I think they, 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 they did their work. With their, I also have problems with this comic as well, in the sense that I think there's a lot of uh, comparison to Watchmen, you know, nine panel grids and you know real life and stuff. And I find that I I don't find it enjoyable seeing like. anymore seeing superheroes do regular day stuff because if I want to read a regular day stuff I go and read an independent book or a book about real people I don't need to have those real people wearing costumes that said there's a lot of great stuff about this and so jumping back into the story so let's uh, let's talk about that first so this book is kind of the polar opposite of what Kirby accomplished in Mr. Miracle although you can make a case that It continues the domestic theme of the second half of the Mr. Miracle run, where it kind of does the Kirby's original work does kind of fit this kind of smaller, nicer domestic life. Um, But it's also the opposite of Kirby in that uh, both both are big stories. They're just told in different ways. Mm-hmm. So we're used to Kirby with his, uh, you know, four panel grids and his two page spreads. And here, like you're saying, it all fits into this nine panel grid and somehow it makes the story seem smaller rather than larger. Mm-hmm. Although this is, I guess, a bigger story, or at least as big as the stories that we were seeing in New Gods. It also feels smaller because it's so constrained by the storytelling approach. And so it gives the story kind of a claustrophobic feeling. And I feel like reading Mr. Miracle with Kirby, I feel like I had more reverence for characters other than Barda and Mr. Miracle. And in fact, when we talked about it, like as we were going one by one issues, 
we talk about oh here here are the theory female theories and here's like you know this or like or even like even though the book was called mr miracle my favorite character was barda and even when we talked about oh this book should be about barda you know whereas in mr miracle i feel like the the majority of the work was put into scott and me and you know barda second and mm -hmm. every other character was really just um background or or furniture you know there's some works of art where all the characters lives seem to re to spin around the one main character mm -hmm. see this a lot like on tv classic tv sitcom for example you know everything revolves around fraser or everything revolves yeah. around you know mike the michael j fox character and or whatever right and uh it feels that way here especially like does Barta have a life outside of Scott in this book? Yeah. It's not clear she really does. Uh, and maybe that's because they're so tight. Maybe it's because they've got the kids. Yeah. But she feels, they both feel really kind of hemmed in by the world they, they're part of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this whole continuing theme throughout the book, I'm sure we're going to dig into about Scott escaping. Yeah. But at the same time, both Scott and Barta are so tied into the family life and the apocalypse and their families that there's there's no escape for them we never see them escape it's all responsibility and a lot of what scott's angst is around and barter's too in in kind of shadow is the the response the weight of responsibility it's interesting because that escape thing we've talked about this before even before talking you know having you know talking about the issue specifically um so just to go back like there's no it's clear dark side is one and in my and we've talked about this before like i feel like scott tried to escape life because it was overwhelming yeah so there's a cut try and kill himself yeah i, I know there's been a lot of different interpretations of why scott tried to kill himself uh, but I think the first issue especially tries to make it clear that it's tied to the anti-life equation. And yeah. Scott's been poisoned by Darkseid's anti-life equation, which totally supports the idea that Darkseid won the war. Mm -hmm. And and the equation just kind of corrupted him. And there's, you know, especially when you have the all the scenes in the book that are like uh, TV pixelating, that all seems to be implying this is all kind of inside Scott's head. Mm. rather than you know actually playing out as it does on the page got it okay i mean i think like the way my interpretation of the anti-life equation was and you know dark side getting control of it is like essentially it just makes life morbid it's not like you become a slave it's just and the reason i say it is mm -hmm. maybe i'm just taking it into my own life but like as i always do when i read things <laughs> well, we like, all do not, by the way my life is not morbid so let's step back on that but um but thinking of like you know when you you know everybody has those days where you're like oh my god is it ever gonna end like am i gonna have an issue with work or like why am i fighting with my partner or what's happening with my parents health everything is crashing down mm -hmm. and i think that's what anti-life it's like i feel like when dark side has won everyone is depressed. They're not necessarily slaves, they're slaves to their own. And I think there's a lot of, uh, um, it, it's a book about depression too, I see, like depression and despondency and being in a quote unquote, your own personal hell. 
but right. I don't think it's necessary. I mean, yeah, I think that that's poison, right? It's poisoning the mind of the, you know, like there's good and there's bad and you're going towards negativity and bad so, as opposed to positivity and goodness. So I get that. And I just feel like he tried from my point of view, and maybe I just misread it, but I do think he tried to escape it and, and he was saved by love, his wife. I mean, you know, it's mm -hmm. all like surface potentially from my point of view. Well, I think that is, I think that's the surface level interpretation King wants us to take out of it. But I think he also wants us to, to dig deeper. And there's so many little hints that there's something darker going on that Scott's mind, mind has been poisoned. There's the scene where he's in the shadow shower and just collapses and starts crying to himself. There's a scene where he looks in Granny Goodness's magic mirror and sees himself and Barda as these burnt as burnt flesh there's all these hints throughout the book of him seeing like the truth behind the artifice that he's living in you know i wanted to ask you that's some that's an interesting thing i thought that that was a mirror he was given that mirror and mirror showed your true self mm -hmm. and when they were at war they were saying that if i'm not mistaken i think they're they were seeing the true self before going through quote-unquote plastic surgery because i think didn't they graft skin onto them when they went to war? Yeah, that's what Granny Goodness says at one point, or there's an allusion to a Granny Goodness saying, uh, we can do plastic surgery to restore your outside, but your insides are mine. Your mm -hmm. insides are corrupted. Mm -hmm. So yeah, essentially, yes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I don't know. I just, I also look at it this way as like, um, the other thing, the other thought that I had just going into my notes is that like Scott unknowingly has always been, I don't know, can we talk about the end? Like just talking about how like he's given a choice, like we can end the war. I'll give you the anti-life equation if you give me my child. And then, mm -hmm. and he can stop the war by just giving up his child. Uh, and he doesn't, obviously. He kills Darkseid. And I feel like Scott from the beginning, even unbeknownst him, has been responsible for the war. There's that depression, you know? There's that idea of, like... Uh, uh, Talk more about how you feel like he's responsible for the war. What, so what do you it, see in the book that implies that? So, oh, man, there's so much stuff. So many notes. Sorry, I'm always... Please... Uh, <laughs> with a lot of thoughts I have let me go I feel like the story is a lot of is allegory of our past the way our parents raised us mm -hmm. and the purpose of parents you know and the idea of what he wants to do is make his uh his child's life better right I mean at the end of the day that's why he doesn't give right. up the child and like there's a point in the book where it talks about like what is the first world is where our parents you know who our parents are that's the first world well, his parents was, his dad, real dad gave him away and his stepdad tortured him so that he would run away so that they would start a war. So the mm -hmm. first act of selfishness for him, maybe human man's selfishness was to run away from hell, which would be good for him because he could start a new life with Barda, but it would start this apocalyptic war where a bunch of people, millions of people would die. Right. He made that choice again by not giving up his child of like, I'm not going to give up my child. There's still going to be a war and it's going to be horrible. And I'm going to make a choice that 
not selfish, just myself. And then, so that was the, that's that part. I have my thoughts on what's the second world, third world, and fourth world we can talk later. Yeah, I want to talk about that too, because that's a, that's a page I bookmarked. But there's also a, a lot in there about Scott feeling rooted, but not rooted at the same time. There's a whole, there's a section there where he says, my name isn't Scott Free. That's just a, a name that Granny Goodness gave me because she was teasing me. My name isn't Mr. Miracle. I stole it from someone who died on earth. I don't even know what my name is. I don't know who I am, really. And as you're saying, he is someone who has been abused even by, you call this out a lot of times before, by both Apocalypse New Genesis. Mm-hmm. New Genesis isn't the utopia it seems to be, or if it is, it's a pretty fucking bad utopia. Yeah. Uh, and so Scott feels unrooted, and he really wants to break the cycle with his son, because that's, yeah. that's uh, I think, the only way he sees that his family can escape the trap that has been laid for him. Mm-hmm. It's that idea that, like, you know, our parents... I mean, this isn't the gift, did the best they could, but we want to be better. I want to make a better life for my child or the future than the one I was given. I mean, that's the whole process of evolution and becoming a better, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you can break that chain and sometimes you can't. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting too, because the the scene that, like, okay, there's, there's a couple of things in the scene where Scott uh, and Barda kill Darkseid too. First of all, the way they kill Darkseid is by using that knife that they also use to cut the umbilical cord for baby Jacob or Jack. It, it's a different it. knife, right? That one they gave back to Bar. Right. It's a different knife. But gave, that's right. It gave them the idea. Yeah. So there really is like this, the strong connection between the son and the father. The thing that saved the child kills the father. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting, also like the idea that like son kills the father, the son, the, the genetic, whatever, genetic son, Orion's bones kill the father, and then the real adopted son that was truly the son. And actually, like, that's the one that I think like Darkseid likes. Mm-hmm. If he raised them to be this way, he kills his father too. Right. So he's kind of killed by both. Yeah. Yeah. Both ways. Yeah. Both ways. Yeah. I think King's trying for something Shakespearean there, but it's so oddly comic booky that I don't think it, it, it makes sense outside of Mr. Miracle. Do you think it was kind of like a dos ex machina type thing too? Because there is no indication of anything like yeah i guess it felt like the most like hollywood movie type twist right because you you know that they're not going to allow their baby to be kidnapped by dark side or taken away by dark side no matter how much of the uh, deal he's going to make although uh i found myself actually kind of oddly rooting or thinking that if they did give Jacob up to Darkseid, it would continue the cycle of the baby given away that was uh, part of Scott's life. Mm -hmm. And also a little bit of this kind of Moses analogy, which goes back to, you know, biblical times and resonates with the Jack Kirby concept of, 
you know, echoing the Judaistic religion. Mm -hmm. So I think that's actually in a weird way, more resonant than him, than Scott and Barda killing or Scott, I should say, killing Darkseid. Yeah, the one thing with Darkseid too is like he never, you know, when you make a deal with the devil or somebody who's evil, they're not going to fully give you what you really want. Yeah. He didn't give him the, the equation. Um, and then, yeah. So I I was really just thinking about the knife being that because also in one inter- one thing, one side note about that um, bone marrow, the God bone marrow wine, that mm-hmm. seems like somebody who's not a good person who would drink the bone marrow of somebody who's dead. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Scott and Barta did grow up on Apocalypse. It's a pretty fucking terrible place. It also, it just seems like gods are, you know, they are kind of selfish. <laughs> they are kind of selfish. So what were you going to say about first world, second world, third world? And let me read this page since I have it bookmarked. Mm-hmm. And the son asked, what is the fourth world? And the father said, the first world is the old world, the world of my parents from which they fled. Second world is the new world, which they sought, which they found where I came to be. The third world is our world as it is now in the making, the future being born. And the fourth world, my child, that is my world, the world I see when I close my eyes and try to escape. Mm-hmm. I am... Um... I, th- I think of if you put it in the context of somebody who comes from another country, <laughs> parents. So let's say like if Jack Kirby's parents, I, I don't, well, not Jack, but let's say if somebody comes in from like they were tortured, the family, you bring in your tortured, whatever, even it's even before the child was born, anything, all the baggage that parents come with, that's the first world. I think the second world is just coming into uh, like, um, you know, in the context of uh, Scott, second world is him coming to earth, running away from the, from apocalypse and starting his own new life with, you know, doing being Mr. Miracle, hooking up with Barda. Third world is dealing with the crappy situation that, that like he's being pulled from all fronts, whether it's from new Genesis or apocalypse. And in the fourth world, you know, that language over there, he says, my child. Now, obviously, he's, it, it could sound like he's addressing his child. Hey, it's my child, here's the answer. But I also think like fourth world is, is his child. Like make the future better for his son or daughter yeah. or child. Yeah, I mean, you could read that so many ways, right? Uh, you, I mean, you emigrated here. I'm sure you saw the immigrant experience in that. Yeah, I mean, it could be immigrant is like an easy analogy, but anyone, anyone's parents are like, there's a baggage before yeah. you were born of like, that they have their own bad. Everyone has, everyone has family who's immigrated here, right? So they have that baggage with their parents that they take over. And just like you said, some people can break that chain. Some people don't always, a lot of people don't always break that chain. Yeah, it's interesting that the page parallel to that page is when Scott is holding Jack on the couch. They're on the couch. Behind him is the poster of Mr. Miracle 18, which is the wedding issue. And he puts his feet up on this kind of electronic image mm-hmm. of Darkseid, this unspeaking, enormous electronic image of Darkseid. Yeah. 
uh, like, and so there's the three generations right there representing the story that's told on the, in the parallel page. Such an interesting construction. Mm -hmm. It's a ghost space. Basically, that, yeah, it's kind of a ghost. Yeah, that's what ghosts are, right? You know, people used to be afraid of their ghosts. A ghost, in reality, is your memories and your experiences that are still affecting you. And in order to exercise them, you need to overcome them in some way. And it sounds like he still has those ghosts. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't get emotional. I just had to cough. Um, he's he's uh, overcoming those ghosts, but they're still there. It's like anything. It could be a depression. It could be sadness. It could be whatever, <clears throat> but he's learning to live with it. Yeah, he's learning to live with it. That's a great way to put it because he's got his feet up. He's falling asleep. The baby's on top of him. Mm -hmm. he's, he seems like he's starting to come to peace with it all mm -hmm. at that point. <clears throat> I should mention that's almost at the very end of the graphic novel. So it is an important symbolic moment. I mean, I think the as I finish, I could also see that I, you know, one of the things that I read this before I read the Jack Kirby and I liked it just fine. I didn't think it was amazing. I liked it. And then when I was reading the Jack Kirby, Mr. Miracle, I started to hate it from what I remember. This was like, oh, this is not fun. It's boring, you know, because like, Scott just wants to have a good time, not good time. He doesn't want to be part of war. He just wants to separate, you know, and have his own life. And in fact, during some of the episodes, I said, why can't there be a series where Scott just, Scott and Barta go on and have a regular sitcom life? Right. And then essentially the end of this book is that regular sitcom life. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to be part of, he said, you know what? Like, yeah, I could save the world and a few billion lives by giving up my child, but I'm going to break that chain and just have a life that's private to me. Almost mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, yeah, it might temporarily stop the war, but at the end of the day, I don't have that power to end the war. So why don't I just work on something that, that I can manage, which is, you know, have a family, be in love, and uh, and and deal with all the ghosts in my past and all the difficulties, but just be happy. Choose to be happy. Yeah. There's a, I think there's a quote that I'm going to butcher that's attributed to Abraham Lincoln, um, but it's not him. It says like you could choose to be happy. Anybody can choose to be happy in the moment. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, he didn't say that exactly, but you know, like what you're going through, you have all these ghosts, you have all these difficulties in life, but just choose to be happy and he chose happiness as opposed to like this anxiety ridden solution. I'm looking it up as we, most people are as happy as they make up their minds to be. That's the Lincoln quote. Yeah. So then he made you feel like this book has a happy ending. I think again, King wants to keep a little vague for us because Barta's, he, Scott and Barta are sitting together on the couch and she says, dark side is. And he says, yeah, I know, but we are too. Mm -hmm. God free, Mr. Miracle, what is wrong with you? I can always escape. Can you, she says. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment that ends the book. She gives them the slick of love. They go and lean in for a kiss with each other, but she's teasing him. It's, yeah. it's this very kind of 
he leaves a little ambiguous, I think. I mean, I, I think it's ambiguous, yes, but I think it's clear that it's life isn't perfect. Yeah. Life, you know, like that, you know, they're on the bed and making out and in the back on the other side of the couch is <laughs> probably dark side looking at them. Right. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's like, um, it's, but it's all those fears and resentments in the back of the head, right? I mean, that's, life isn't perfect. You're always trying to, if we were perfect, some people would say like, hey, I'm not a God, I'm not perfect. And, you know, these people aren't perfect either. And they are gods. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just managing, uh, managing the world that you're given. I think that's what it is. That's, that could be a happy ending. If you look at it, you choose to be happy. And, and he chose to be happy in this world that he was given. This is a, so I'm going to go off on an odd little tangent for a minute here. So uh, at, at work, we do a book club and we're reading uh, some kind of philosophical books that have to do with what a lot of what I do, which is around servant leadership. And we're reading this book by uh, this professor in, from the University of Texas named Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. uh, if you know her work at all, the book is called Dare to be Great. And she talks a lot about how what makes us great isn't the, that we pretend to be strong, but that we are vulnerable and allow ourselves to be seen as vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what Scott goes through is he's been keeping this, his vulnerability child stuck inside himself. And finally, he's able to break through of his big break through that wall that he was using to hide himself from others and himself and allowed himself to be truly completely vulnerable. He goes from being the guy who jokes on talk shows and tells stories about why he had tried to kill himself to someone who finds true happiness in the end and literally slays all the demons who are haunting him. Mm -hmm. Right. Orion and dark side and everything else that's oppressing him, even high, the you know, high father from the Kirby standpoint, uh, has been oppressing him and he realizes that he can truly find happiness by being vulnerable it's interesting kind of putting this in in the Brene Brown context because I really see his characters also being someone who's had this journey over these 12 issues over these 200 plus pages to become someone who's at least more self-realized mm -hmm. and find some measure of happiness and knowing that there's never going to be true complete happiness yeah, and also he's he has overcome the in my definition uh, the he has escaped the anti life equation because that part where it says Scott free Mr Miracle what is wrong with you and then he says I can always escape that's mm -hmm. positivity that is not the anti life equation so the the pause the hopefulness the coming from a place of abundance you know that idea of like expectancy you know being expected like that's not the anti-life equation right well and it's also self-knowledge mm -hmm. i can always escape like he knows this as a fact this is something that his weakness has brought onto him mm -hmm. so you started by saying in the beginning that dark side had won do you feel like at the end dark side is lost um it depends on the definition the dark side i i feel like dark side might still be around he's still around clearly but his power is weak 
Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's the same whole thing, you know, like, like, for example, um, you know, here's an example. I don't know. This is not the right best example, but let's say you get a cold and the, or in the first few days, it feels terrible. And then next few days, it gets better over time. It goes away. I think that's what it is. Dark side at the end of this book, he's still around. You still have that remnants of cold, but maybe you're not contagious. You know, that kind of. I'll give you a better analogy. It's like morning. When you first lose somebody who's yeah. close to you, it's this all-encompassing pain that just feels like nothing you've ever experienced. And that after going through a journey, finally just becomes something that you are used to handling. Yes. To living with. Yeah. I feel like that's a lot of where Scott comes to is he goes through morning of whatever it may be. I'm not sure what it is. Morning of his past, I guess. Mm -hmm. morning of the traumas of what he came through and in the end he just comes to a better state of just getting used to the pain no i think that's a great i think the other thing that comes to mind is depression too and and, and as you mentioned earlier sometimes you don't get over it some people don't get over it mm -hmm. most people do you know that's how you keep living you you keep living after some tragedy or something bad happens but some people, you know, you, you get your help and depression or whatever people do. And they and a lot of people just get over it. Um, I did want to say one thing. You know, we talked about breaking the chain. And there's a lot of chains broken here, of familial yeah. stuff. But there was one thing that, you know, in the issue 11 at the end when I think it's Desaad, right? Desaad turns into Metron and he's like, hey, hey, my son, like everybody wants to take ownership over scott and say my son i was like mm -hmm. hey now you've done it you won now your time to escape you know that kind of a thing and essentially reboot the book you know kind of like how comic books are yeah and in this case scott does not do that he just said you know what i'm not gonna take that escape he broke that chain too i feel like that's the part that I initially struggled with is that you're talking about the page with a giant two-page spread with yeah. Superman and all the other DC heroes, including Barda and including Orion and including Forager, Yeah, which at first I was very confused by. Is this supposed to be showing that we're in a parallel earth or something? Seeming to bring the book back. But instead, what he's, I like what you're saying there, Amir, that this is just another potential reality. Mm-hmm. But, and Scott chooses to reject it. He chooses to reject classic heroism. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're kind of implying? I think, well, that's a good interpretation of what I said. I wasn't that, this is building on it. I think what I was mentioning is that he gave him an out and said, hey, you know what? Like here, you can go back to the regular DC universe where things repeat over and over again, you know, but nothing really terrible happens. Mm -hmm. Here's your opportunity. And then issue 12 is Scott saying, no, you know, I like the way I built my life here. I'm going to keep doing this. I'll still, I'll stay in my personal hell because I've started to manage it, you know? Yeah. And the upcoming birth of their third child or their second child rather yeah, kind of is just another state of kind of moving into a new phase. Yeah. And shaving and yeah shaving that's huge huge symbolically yeah getting cleaned up and everything and i i think 
you know, I, I, the more I talk about it, the more I have appreciation for it. I would say that I'm probably not going to read this book again, but I did enjoy it. Unless we do another podcast. But. <laughs> no, I've been fascinated by this book since I first read it. Now, this is like the fourth or fifth time I read this. And each time I find more in it, which I guess implies that it is kind of a great graphic novel because there's so much in here about not just these characters, but that I find reflected in my life. Mm -hmm. And I see myself in Scott and I see my relationships in Scott and Barter's relationship. Mm -hmm. And I see this need to kind of overcome or transcend your parents as being a, an important thing, the way you, yeah. that Scott and Barter deal with family. Mm -hmm. uh, you could see Granny Goodness as being these dysfunctional or broken behavior patterns we find ourselves in and Scott deliberately trying to uh, not trying actually breaking away from them is very powerful I also think there's a lot of scenes that are just really funny mm -hmm. the negotiation scene for example in the castle is just actually pretty darn fun mm -hmm. and I've always loved the scene where Scott and Barter are fighting the parademons and talking about remodeling the house mm -hmm. and it's just really a few really fun scenes uh, did you did you find did you enjoy the humor in here did you find the humor was i liked kind of flat it. compared to everything else i mean i don't think there was anything wrong with it i didn't i think maybe i'm at a point where like like i said like one of the things i thought about here is like if you don't know who the characters are let's say like i come into mr miracle not knowing who even batman is Mm -hmm. But I enjoy those quips as much. That's let's say like I have no idea who these characters are. I'm just reading it. Would I even have any context over this whole story? I um, wonder. I mean, I'm the wrong person to ask. Right? Yeah, I mean, I'm the wrong person to ask too because I do have content. I have less knowledge than you do, but I I do have some knowledge. And um, I think the first time I read it, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. I think over time, it's like it seems kind of cutesy, you know? Mm -hmm. um, is it a comedy or is it, I mean, you know, it's not enough to be a real comedy to be ha-ha, but it's not enough. I think it's okay. I'm not, I'm not mad at it. <laughs> I think it's okay. I, like I said, like one of the things I said is like, you know, if I want to read a drama, I'd like to read a drama. Right now, my superheroes, I want to, you know, you know, just colorful, but I do want to say about Mitch Garrett's, we didn't talk about him as much, and we've been no. on, but I mean, he's part of it. So he's part of the storytelling. I think his storytelling is amazing. Just aside from, I mean, I love the art. I would, I would, and he, I know he does everything. He does it on digital. He colors it himself and everything. I would love to see him being colored by somebody like, um, Matt Wilson or Hollingsworth and see what he looks like just for fun, just for me, my own selfish thing. But I do like his art. I love his storytelling. I think the part about, you know, those scenes that you said were really funny, those really can be attributed a lot of it to Garrett's, you know, uh, you know, Tom King is writing the words, but Garrett's is writing the action. Yeah. And so like, it's, it's just, and I love like, uh, there's some like page 148, 149 in my book, or actually that, that whole part about like that whole part about they're fighting the minions or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. Like it's uh, the drawings, like I'd love, 
like a lot of the storytelling, you don't even need the words. I mean, the words make it funny, but you could just see what's going on. It's a lot of action, you know, if you like action. And he could, you know, he nails the action and he nails the, um, you know, just the quiet, boring, <laughs> boring for an artist moments of like it's, they're stuck in a car. His storytelling is just immaculate to me. Mm -hmm. And you brought up Watchmen earlier, like, the only person I can compare this work to is Dave Gibbons in Watchmen mm -hmm. because it's got that clockwork precision, the repeated images used all throughout the books. They resonate with each other. The way he uses it is a single camera angle as different things happen behind them. It's a really interesting way of showing action. Uh, he's great at facial expressions too. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I can say, which is, not necessarily a negative is that there's an awful lot that seems to be medium shot where we always feel like we're three feet away from the characters looking them straight on instead of you know giving us the kirby-esque panoramic views on things and even in the big scenes like the confrontation with dark side mm -hmm. um, we're still looking at straight on at the at them straight on a dark side or whatever from, from that specific distance. I feel like that that's Tom King's direction though, for mm -hmm. the camera direction. Um, like I, I've, so I've actually known about Garrett's before I knew about Tom King. I know he did a, he colored a book in Boom that was co-written by Stan Lee a long time ago. I think oh, the writer huh. was Mark Wade. I forget what it was called. Oh yeah. Uh, I think it was like some, and then he, the other book that I really loved from him was an image book called, uh, oh shoot, it was about these soldiers called, uh, it was with Nathan Edmondson. It was about, and I think that's where he got the job to work with uh, Tom King or uh, on uh, Sheriff of Babylon, which I also enjoyed. I mean, that's, that's actually my favorite collaboration between these two guys. I haven't read that. Yeah, it's, um, so, but the, the one before that was, uh, I forget what it was called, it was with Nathan Edmondson, but I really enjoy, and he can do action and he can do wide shots, but I think it's just a direction, which, you know, he was, he did what he could with what he was given with the constraints of the you know, camera direction and story. The Edmondson book you're talking about is The Activity. The Activity, I love that book. I actually have all the trades and I have a lot of the issues too. Oh, I haven't. I've never read it actually. It's really fun. I mean, it's it's basically a one shot stories like every episode. It's like a different episode, and they're kind of like ops. Like, oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Hmm. So he's he's familiar with war. <laughs> yeah, he but, certainly is. But he's definitely gotten better in the sense that, like, I think the drawing is so consistent. The storytelling is awesome. Um, I would love to see somebody else color just for my own selfish purposes because you know, I've seen him do a lot of dark stuff or maybe color himself less dark. You know, I want to see something fun from him. Yeah, Strange Adventures also has that darkness to it. Yeah, well, his part, yeah. Yeah, his part, intentionally. So he doesn't just draw straight on looks at characters either. He does He does different, different kind of work as well. Mm-hmm what you're saying yeah Gerard Gerard or Gerard I don't know Garrett his work, his work here is just so 
kind of smart and immaculate and well thought about, well thought through. Uh, did you like the Gibbons analogy? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes sense. Cause I think with, with Jared's too, like, you know, people don't really know, oftentimes notice his artwork. Um, and Gibbons is not a showy artwork where like, oh my God, look what he, the rendering and look at all the little dots on this jacket. You don't notice that, but you know, but when you look back, you're like, wow, this is great draftsmanship, great storytelling. Um, I mean, I think Gibbons had the luxury of working with, you know, no disrespect to Tom King, with a much better writer, but, um, but I also think that he was able to deliver on that Watchmen. He's also 50, actually more than 50% of Watchmen as well. So yeah, yeah. I think they're both, um, it's comparable. I think one interesting thing about it is like Doc Shaner, who does the, you know, the, the current book with them, like they, they alternate on art duties. Their art is very similar. And I never noticed it because Doc Shaner is one of my favorite artists. And Mitch Garrett's, I, I never really said that, but their art is very similar to it's just the coloring that's different. Yeah. And so that whole like stepping back and not trying to be showy, he can be, but he's not showy doing it. He's sacrificing a lot of his showiness in, for storytelling purposes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A couple other things about Gerard. I really like the way he does small redesigns of the characters. I think his Orion looks spectacular mm -hmm. with the white mask and the slightly wider face. I just think that looks amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, we were complaining about other people drawing dark side weird, but his dark side is the best dark side since Kirby, I think. Yeah, it's a good one. He just feels enormous and powerful and kind of unknowable. Mm -hmm. Those those pages where he has dark side across three panels, he's just such a looming, impressive presence. Mm -hmm. Just just really powerful. It's it's a it's a very impressive, a very kind of humanistic performance. Yeah. That's it. I do want to say it's morbid. This is a morbid book and I'm never going to read it again. <laughs> it's like, come on. Cheer up. <laughs> or uh, uh, lighten up. It's, it's just comics. It's just it, uh, superhero comics. Yeah, it's just, it, as Bob Haney say, it's just junk. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I think, you know, like, I like Tom King and Sheriff of Babylon. Um, I even I really liked his uh, his Batman run with. Uh, it, so I, I want to. It's interesting. I, I I started thinking about that today. Um, you know, everybody loves Tom King when he's doing characters that most people don't care about. But then once you start to change anything about <laughs> people like all these people care about, they start to kind of rebel against them. Right. Oh, that's a good I point. What's that? That's a good point. Keep going. I enjoyed his take on Batman because it's been so muddied with everybody else. I like, I, I really liked his run with like, you know, the romance between Catwoman and Batman. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, and I did like Sheriff of Babylon. And I, I think it's because it's, it's rooted in real world, you know? He doesn't have to take his own experiences, but just talk about real, like I would love to see him write 
you know, hook up with another artist to do these types of real life, you know, stories. That said, usually those types of things are done with artist writers because they don't make enough money for him to be able to pay the artists. So. Yeah, I, I enjoyed his vision book with uh, oh, yeah. Michael Walsh too. I thought it was just a really smart, interesting, clever book that also kind of reflects a lot of what he did here in, in Mr. Miracle. Definitely the same sort of approach. That that book also had Gabriel Waltz, right? Peralta. Peralta. There's like another artist on yeah, there. Yeah, Gabe Peralta, I think it is. No, Gabriel Hernandez Walta, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I think he has a good, I mean, you you see the formula, but it's it's good craftsmanship. He puts a lot of work into it. Mm -hmm. But there's a, a, a kind of an intense, serious work that's a little challenging at times. Mm -hmm. challenging to get through it's not you're right it's not fun yeah it's not escapist it's it's kind of some work it's like um my here's my life through superhero characters you know yeah yeah um last question then let's tie this together do you, we talked a lot about how Jack Kirby dreamed of giving his books to other creators. Now, of course, 30 years have passed or 40 years have passed since Kirby stopped doing Mr. Miracle. But do you think if he had, if he was still around, he would approve of Tom King's approach? Oh man, that's a tough question. I don't want to speak. I mean, <laughs> you would like it because the son's name is named after him, Jacob. Right. I think of naming um, but, the daughter Rosalind too, right? <laughs> that's funny. Um, I uh, I don't know. I I would I would want somebody else to do it. I don't know what Jack would want, but I know I would want somebody else to do it. Should we think about who we'd want? Who we're, uh, what the Mister Miracle that I want? <laughs> I can tell you who I would want. Actually, it would be yeah. Doc Shaner. You just mentioned him. Yeah. So I want to do that lighter kind of feel to it. What about writer, or or have him write it himself? Yes, uh, yeah, have him write it himself, or uh, who do, who do you think of in terms of writers? I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard after Jack. Um, See, I want it to be outside of continuity too. I want them to just yeah. be kind of having their own adventures, occasionally bringing in some of the new gods characters, but more as like crazy wedding or crazy house guests as i understand that's a little bit of what the mark dematius version of the book does which spun mm -hmm. out from justice league in the 80s oh okay um i would want oh gosh how about uh, i'm sorry i forget her name but the person that wrote ms marvel willow wilson willow wilson yeah i've heard write it yeah have the woman's perspective so you can get more Barda. <laughs> you call it more accurate Barda. You call it Big Barda, Mr. Miracle. I would buy the hell out of that book. Yeah. So for next time, did we want to read the Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers, Michael Golden, and Steve Gerber issues? Yeah, yeah. I have those. Okay. So let's talk about those next week then. I think you'll think they're a lot more fun. 
cool. Yeah. So I think the next one is issue 19 of that. I guess it's 19. It picks up on 18. Yeah, it does. I remember them being great comics, especially loving the artwork in them. Mm-hmm. I think it's Marshall Rogers next week on art. Thanks for doing this with me. I'm yeah, glad you got to read. I am glad I reread it, honestly. Me too. I Oftentimes I, uh, you know, I actually didn't remember reading issue 12, which was funny. I don't remember issue 12 at all. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> so it was kind of cool to. I think I liked it more than you. Uh, I probably will come back and reread it. I'm happy I bought the fancy hardcover because uh, it's going to have a treasured place on my shelf. Uh, just out of curiosity, just from a book perspective, what does the hardcover have that the... Um... Your copy has the preview seven or eight page story, right? It does, yeah. With one that's Mike drawn Norton. by Mike Norton. And then it's just got a cover gallery and other stuff in the back. It's actually kind of disappointing. Oh, okay. Doesn't so it's have got any- alternate covers by Gerard. Any and, art? Any like? And then like some drafts for some covers and stuff. That's on here too. Anything? Yeah, so that, I don't think there's that much. I don't think there's any real difference then. No thumbnails or anything? There are. Th- there's thumbnails and there's the first issue script also. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. That's not in the software. Oh, that's great. Cool. So that's interesting. That'd be good for the artists. I would buy that. I would rather see like writer's commentary, honestly. But yeah, then again, it's up to us to to kind of think about what the work means. But that was fun. Thank you. I liked it better the second time. So even though I had some criticism. <laughs> Thanks, Amir. We'll talk more Mr. Miracle next week. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. All right, talk to you soon. Talk soon. <laughs> Oh, thank you.